From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. This year has brought a new level of anti-democratic behavior, particularly situated in state houses and legislatures. In March, Representative Mari Turner from Oklahoma was censured for offering a protester the use of an office in the aftermath of an arrest. In April, two Tennessee state representatives, Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, were ousted for speaking up for their constituents, protesting against gun violence. And then in May, Representative Zoe Zephyr was censured for her vocal opposition to a bill banning gender-affirming care for minors. The retaliation experienced by these elected officials hints at a growing vulnerability to express dissent in politics and government, a worrying trend. The rise in bans on the LGBT community is being met, rightfully so, with protest. The exact mechanism we have for showing disapproval and standing up for our values and our representative democracy. Now, when that mechanism is threatened, we are all threatened, and the LGBTQ community is even further put at risk. Joining us today to talk about this silencing effect are Representative Zoe Zephyr from Montana and Representative Mari Turner from Oklahoma. Representative Zephyr, Representative Turner, Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Amazing. It's an honor, really, to be speaking with you both. I want to start our conversation off with saying happy Pride. I wanted to hear first how you both are celebrating Pride this year. So I'll be celebrating Pride in two ways. One is turning to my community back in Montana. Uh, Missoula's Pride is coming up here uh, in the middle of June. And so I will be with them. And then the other thing is I'm going to be traveling the country to a variety of prides across the country because it feels like we are in a moment where it is more important than ever to make sure folks understand that our our joy, queer joy, is resistance and that there is a path forward um, despite the slate of anti-LGBTQ bills we're seeing. And so I want to go around the country and try to inspire that hope. That's exciting. Representative Turner, what about you? In Oklahoma, we have a variety of prides that go on um, uh, from a lot of places in uh, rural Oklahoma starting their first ever prides or things like that. And so I'll be going to a few of those. Um, uh, and in Oklahoma City specifically, we've got a few different prides, too. Uh, and so uh, so I'll be attending a few of those and trying to take as much downtime as I can between that, because I think like we just... Rep Zephyr and I uh, just finished our session, so trying to prioritize a little rest and um, make sure a lot of joy and uh, pride is celebrated throughout that time, too. Very nice. Rest is super important, especially these days. We have to take it where we can. Your candidacies and subsequent victories represent milestones for representation in politics in your respective states. Representative Turner, you're the first openly non-binary and Muslim representative in Oklahoma, I also think across the country. And Representative Zephyr, you're the first openly trans representative in Montana. But we know that there is a pressure and also a risk in being the first. Was being a first part of your mission when you ran for office or rather something that you felt that you had to contend with? That's a good question. 
I think for me, uh, back in 2020, I knew if I was to be elected, I, I knew that I would be the first Muslim elected to the Oklahoma State Legislature. Um, it wasn't necessarily my mission. I think more importantly, the first that I wanted to be was like the first community organizer. Um, uh, I decided to run for office because in my time at the ACLU and long before that, right, like the big thing in that political organizing aspect that I realized was that whether Republican, Democrat or otherwise, there were a lot of folks who were continuously uh, making laws about our everyday lives that they would never have to live on the other side of, ally or otherwise. And what happens when you're not directly in community or um, share those same lived experiences is that community members are easier for you to cut out. And I was tired of my community members always being cut out. I didn't realize I was the first openly non-binary person to be elected uh, uh, to a state-level position in U.S. history until after the election and the headlines started coming in, right? Um, I think that that was really humbling and jarring uh, in a lot of different ways. But um, the first was, for me, more specifically about being the first community organizer. Yeah, it's huge. Representative Zephyr, how have you handled being the first? Was that a mission of yours? You know, for me, the thing that was in my mind was not, am I going to be a first? It was what voices are in that room. And it was clear that, as Rep. Turner mentioned, even those speaking in defense of issues that were important to me um, felt like they were missing the mark ever so slightly. They did not have the lived experience to talk, um, to talk about it. And so it felt important to get into the room for that reason. Um, whether it was me or someone else um, was not so much my, my concern. Um, and then I was actually very fortunate out here in Montana to run alongside uh, now Representative S.J. Howell, and who became the first non-binary representative in Montana at the exact same time that I was elected the first trans woman uh, representative. And I think both of us brought uh, lived experiences that were missing um, from the state legislature. And to me, that is, um, that is the work and making sure that our legislatures and our governments reflect the lived experiences, accurately reflect the lived experiences of our population. So it sounds very similar for the both of you. You ne didn't necessarily seek to be the first. You ran with a mission to be representative of your communities, um, which I think is a worthy and beautiful aim. What are you most proud of since you've been in office? So legislatively, one of the bills I'm most excited about was House Bill 218 here in Montana, which was brought by Representative Flora Smith. Uh, and it was a bill for the, you know, quote, troubled teen camps out in the woods where kids get sent to, and they were rife with abuse and the risk of abuse. And I worked on getting an amendment on that bill that put required phones to be present in those troubled teen camps so, with numbers posted for child abuse hotlines, et cetera, to make sure that kids had a, who were potentially getting abused had a way to contact outside because they had been um, being withheld from outside contact. And it was a unique opportunity in that I helped draft that amendment alongside a Republican. People coming in from outside, Paris Hilton was advocating for that because she had experience uh, with abuse at these camps. And to me, seeing that go through was legislatively, you know that you're that's going to save a life. 
And that was something that felt really good to get across the line. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Representative Turner? I think for me, um, so I've been in the legislature for three sessions in Oklahoma um, or on this side of the desk in the legislature for three sessions in Oklahoma. And this year I got my first ever bill heard in committee, which it was a bill to decriminalize living with HIV um, in Oklahoma. Uh, and it was, I think, big for a lot of reasons. There is no legislation that I put forth in uh, the Oklahoma legislature that people from House District 88 did not bring to me. I'm continuously in community doing the organizing, right, to figure out like what truly what are what is the community saying? And so um, I had a constituent bring me a piece of legislation specifically about decriminalizing living with HIV and got to presented in committee. And I got to see some lights go off, not only in committee, but in the individual meetings I had to understand like why the decriminalization of living with HIV um, uh, uh, is important for Oklahomans and specifically rural Oklahomans having one of the highest transmittal rates um, in the nation, like in the top seven, I think was really a jolt of energy, I think, that I personally needed during this session um, uh, and so many folks across Oklahoma really needed. Um, uh, and it's really started a lot of conversations for how we continue that work um, uh, well beyond this session. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, obviously you both have had major success in your state legislatures and perhaps even either despite this or because of it, uh, you've also both experienced reprimanding from your state legislatures. I wonder if for the listeners who may not know or have followed intimately your two stories, if we could kind of go back to those moments and and set the scenes. I know that, you know, this happened as both you or your constituents were speaking out against bills aimed at banning gender-affirming care for trans youth. What role do you think that that played in your colleagues' approach to you in these moments? And can you set the scene for us and take us back to to what happened? So we had a a rally happen because our gender-affirming care ban, but it also had an insurance piece attached to it. So it was a gender-affirming care ban for folks 18 and under, um, or or, um, for minors, right? But it also had this insurance piece that would force folks who are currently transitioning with the help of insurance who have to either continue to transition without insurance or figure out a way to detransition. And so the spouse of the individual who was already arrested came to seek refuge, right, to decompress, to, to be in community, to use the office of an elected official like every other constituent does when they come to talk to folks who are up here, right? The folks you've elected us to to be up here, to hold space for you, to come and talk to you about your why. That's why we're here. Um, uh, And then I got a knock on the door from a constituent that said, like, do you know that state troopers are in both hallways leading to your office? And I said, absolutely not. Nobody ever called me or talked to me to ask me about what was going on or anything like that. They just were already in defense. And I think for me, it's probably one of the most jarring experiences that I'll ever have. Thank you for sharing that. I can imagine that it's challenging to talk about because it is so awful and there is so much 
that could happen in those moments. And I'm really sorry that you had to deal with that. Representative Zephyr, what what was your experience? So I had been speaking out against Senate Bill 99, which was the gender-affirming care ban in our state. It was the third time I had spoken out against the bill. I spoke out in committee. I spoke out on the House floor. And then when we got the governor's amendments, I spoke out again. Over the course of the session, we had seen an array of anti-LGBTQ bills, bills targeting our books, bills targeting our art forms, targeting our healthcare, um, and so on. And as I was speaking out, I was trying to speak in a way that people would understand that the bills we were passing, they don't come with hypothetical harm. They come with real harm. We had an ER doctor send a letter, letter to every legislator saying that a trans teen had come in um, suicidal. And when they were asking them, like, what's going on? They kept saying, my state doesn't want me. That, that was their reason um, for suicidality. We had a family whose trans teen attempted suicide while listening to one of the hearings. And we know that because that's how her mother found her with the hearing still up on her computer. This was in a hearing where we begged the Republican chair of the Judiciary Committee to not allow words like groomer, not allow words like pedophile, to understand that these come with real impacts. And we were told a lot of people have a lot of opinions on these things. And so when I rose up to speak out against that, uh, against the gender-affirming care ban, I was speaking to the very real harms. And I used language that was clear and precise. And when I said, if you vote for this bill, there will be blood on your hands. And later that day, the Montana Freedom Caucus called for my censure in a letter where they misgendered me uh, while calling for, quote, civility and discourse. Um, and following that, the Speaker of the House refused to recognize me on several bills going forward, not just ones related to LGBTQ people. And uh, later, a few days later, um, Montanans, both my constituents who understood that when the Speaker doesn't allow me to speak, he takes away representation um, from the people who elected me. Um, those folks and folks across Montana came out to rally and then to protest. And they stood in the gallery and they watched um, to, in much in the way where uh, union workers come when anti Union bills come. They line the galleries of the hall uh, of the line the gallery and say, "We are watching you do the right thing." And when the speaker refused to recognize me, they began chanting, "Let her speak," um, which uh, was responded to by sending riot police up to them. Uh, and seven protesters were arrested. Several struck uh, by the police. And following that, the Montana super, the Republican supermajority voted to not expel me like was done in Tennessee as they saw that the Tennessee folks were sent immediately back. They knew that would happen for me as well. They elected to just put me in limbo, say, you can't speak. You have to sit in the hallway. And so I did my work from the hallway for the remainder of the session with some challenges as the speaker tried to remove me from the public space as well. Um, but I was able to stay as close as I could to the people's house and do my work. Um, and that is sort of the, um, 60 second overview of a very, um, yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. What sounds so similar about both of these experiences that I'm really sorry that you both had to endure is, you know, really you were just doing basic 
thing is that I think if it were applied to other material, other bills, other issues, perhaps, nothing would have been a problem. Representative Turner, you offered people a safe place to recoup from a protest experience that was was traumatic. And Representative Zephyr, you were simply just speaking up for your community. I really appreciate that both of you articulated that these bills are life and death for your community and for people all across the country. I mean, this this issue is these bills and bans are happening all over the place. And so there's a lot of similarities, but what was different was the punishment that you received were inversions of one another. Representative Turner, you are removed from committee assignments. Representative Zephyr, you'll still be able to vote and participate in committees, but not discuss proposals and amendments under consideration in the full House. I wonder if we can like talk about how this is censorship and censorship is a threat to democracy and what what does this retaliation by the Montana and Oklahoma Rep- House of Representatives say about the vulnerability to our culture of dissent in politics and government today and and the imposition and your ability to do the job that your constituents elected you to do? It was this specific topic that they were coming after me for, but we saw in Tennessee that it was people protesting a lack of action on uh, gun violence in communities. And I think the through line here is that when groups, marginalized groups directly impacted by legislation are pushing back against them, we are seeing the extremists that is the extremism that is taking root in the Republican Party isn't content with just passing policy. It also seeks to silence dissent. The action taken against me banned me from the House floor they immediately moved every bill that was being heard in my committees to different committees. Suddenly business and labor was hearing an abortion bill because the punishment didn't go to my committee, but they found a way to get things out so that I wouldn't be able to speak on them. If you are looking at folks in power who are willing to do anything they can to not just pass policy, but silence dissent as well, if that sounds the alarm bells of authoritarianism, it's because it should. That is a grave threat of a question of will someone toss democracy to the side to pass policy, even when that policy is outside of, you know, we know it's bad policy. It doesn't follow uh, the guidelines of every major medical association. But will they also toss representatives out, um, toss democracy aside to pass that policy? And that should be incredibly concerning. Absolutely. It is incredibly concerning. Um, I'm hopeful, though that these actions, the four state representatives, including the two of you, have been loud and clear enough as warning signs to to all of us moving forward. Representative Turner, how has this impacted your ability to get things done in your state house? Yeah, I definitely want to echo all of those sentiments that Zo- uh, Rep. Zephyr shared, but and also the fact that 
So I was removed from all committee work. And in Oklahoma, a legislative session spans two years. Um, so we're just finishing the first part of this legislative session. And 2024 will be the second part. So at the time that they censured me, we didn't have too much committee work left. Um, uh, my minority floor leader uh, went ahead and assigned my committees to other members of the caucus. Um, to which then we were able to sit down and talk about all the pieces of legislation that were still coming through committee, right? Um, because I think that's the thing, right? Uh, I am Black, non-binary, queer, um, uh, gender diverse, and have grown up in this body in Oklahoma my entire life, right? Have been a community organizer my entire life. So I, I bring up a, a unique perspective because of the people of House District 88 to the Capitol. And that's something that is lost when we don't get to sit in committee and ask those questions. Um, uh, I won't be able to be in any committee unless I am elected again. Um, uh, and I think like that's one of the big things. But also um, the bills that make it to and through committee come to the House floor. And um, I think that's the thing that I'm still grateful that I have, right, is the privileges of the floor to be able to still ask questions, do the debate, right, and shed the light on things. We can still be able to talk to, um, I'm still able to to talk to my constituents about why it's important that we still show up, um, uh, even if I can't be in committees. I think for me, this experience has been to show people the power of showing up and not just in committee work, but continuously, if possible. Um, uh, and so I think that's one of the big things, like we'll still be able to do interim studies. So this censure is only enforceable if people allow their bigotry um, uh, and their need for an apology for something that I didn't do to get in the way of actual work um, uh, and the voices of people that they need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. How did you feel in the state capitol before all of this? Was this the first time that you felt singled out by your colleagues? Every other week I get in trouble for some kind of dress code violation. I don't violate the dress code, but they're like, okay, well, we're going to say this sweatshirt is a prop or whatever. And so I have to say, well, if we say that, then my good friend across the aisle with his back to blue tie on, we have to take his votes off the board too, and then they'll drop it. And this happens like all of the time. Um, uh, so also trying to shed light and has created a, a great way to have conversations, I think, in the Democratic Party about how these might look like Rep Turner or Maury Turner issues, but all of these small steps are a big march towards silencing people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who aren't willing to do the same type of work as you, um, uh, because we are bound in community service, in justice, right, in equitable liberation. Um, and, and so I think that's been interesting, too, right, to be able to, to start those conversations. It would be nice to have those conversations without all of this um, uh, and to have them be heard. I want to jump in on or what Rep Turner pointed out about the the tie as well. I think is it highlights what we're seeing. You know, when questions of decorum or questions of who can use a representative's office come in, it's the way in which the procedural tools get weaponized. I watched someone insinuate that my existence is somehow a threat to children, and we stand up, we object, and we move we move on. Um, but when it comes to these tools, much like policy goals, the way when they talk about parental rights, it becomes parental rights for parents who have cisgender children, not parental rights for parents who have trans children. The, whether it's their, you know, policy phrases they, they like to, uh, 
say over and over again, or procedural tools themselves, they get used as a cudgel um, to silence uh, opposition and silence particularly marginalized groups. But the other thing about that, which you referenced, uh, Kendall, is that you said, I hope people you know, see what this for what it is. And I think a lot of times you spend talking about this is policy, here's a piece of policy, and you have to say, here's how the harm is going to arise from that policy. We can say, here's the action, here's the immediate undemocratic, anti-democratic harm done. And I think in those moments, people who may not have been following the through lines of more complicated policy understand the risk. That's the conversations I'm having. And if we talk about hope or what comes next, to me, that is part of it, is that people are seeing, oh my goodness, they're willing to do this so overtly, so clearly we're not having policy conversations anymore. We're having protect the, the core principles of our country, which if there's hope, that's where it is for me. Yeah. And and to pick up on something that you're both referencing, you represent thousands of people, thousands of people who, you know, Representative Turner, you said, we can still keep showing up. But what happens when we silence the people in rep- state houses that represent people who voted for you, who gave you their vote and said, I want you to represent me. It's a methodology to discourage people from voting for certain candidates, but it's also a voting rights issue, especially if we're looking at districts that are, I know that your district representative Turner is not majority minority, but if we're silencing further voters of color through censuring you, that becomes even a a bigger voting rights issue. Absolutely, right? I think it's all of that. I think it's a 2SLGBTQ plus issue. It's a voting rights issue, right? And then when, when we stop the folks who talk about the things or the communities that are often forgotten in places like this, because the thought process, right, there is still that individualistic mindset that we're combating, right? Because we aren't just bringing our policy knowledge into positions like this, right? Whether that is Rep. Zoe Zephyr, Rep. Justin Jones, Rep. Justin Pearson, right? Like we're bringing our full selves into it, right? We're being bringing our shared lived experience into it, right? And that is what is often left out of policy is that people come in and they say, and I know it's best for you, so I'm going to do that. But we come in with this mindset and with this understanding of, I know how to talk to you, right? I know how to understand you. And that in order to continue to do this job, we have to be in conversation, right? We have to be building something outside of just the time that we are in legislative session, right? And then we've got to build something to help us survive what this legislative session has just given us. And so, yes, absolutely. I guess like that's a long convoluted way of saying like, absolutely, this is a voter rights issue, right? Um, And so many more issues, right? This is an immigration issue. This is uh, an accessible, affordable housing issue. This is a healthcare issue. And these are all resources to communities that are left out so often because of the monolithic thought process that happens when we just get a bunch of white cishet men and people who are beholden to white cishet men writing policy over so many other people's lives. Um, I actually wanted to come back to something that you had said, Representative Zephyr. You know, we talked about like, whose kids Whose parents, whose rights are we really talking about when we're in these conversations 
in our state houses, when we're talking about censorship, when we're talking about education gag orders, this is happening all over the place. Whose right is it to learn their history? Whose parents get to decide what's taught in a classroom? We're seeing this kind of censorship that you're experiencing. It's seeping into all facets of American life, whether it be in our classrooms, our libraries, our state houses, our restaurants and bars. You've both personally experienced this on a national scale or what's become a national scale. But this is happening, you know, to people who didn't even sign up for being in politics or being in public life. And the difficulties that you've experienced can be actually really related to the difficulties that a teacher in Florida is now experiencing, where suddenly that teacher can't teach the way that they used to teach or in line with what they what they believe or what what you know is accurate. You know, we have a lot of teachers who listen to this podcast who are stuck in a lot of the same kind of silencing moments that you all are both stuck in. What would you want to say to them? I think you you do well to to point out sort of the breadth of impact uh, here. When policy comes forward, you know, in the legislatures, I can't tell you, you know, how often someone will stand up and say, well, this bill, it's just about this one specific book that's really an issue. Oh, this is just about healthcare under this very specific instance. When legislators talk about it, they try to get this these harmful policies through by putting a like narrow veil over it and saying it's just about this tiny subset, one little thing. But what we see is the attacks on LGBTQ communities and the, the attacks on marginalized communities generally are not narrow in scope. The people who don't want, you know, trans athletes in sports, they're not just upset about that. They're tearing down uh, tr- uh, uh, displays at targets that have pride on them. So it, there's a totality of the aggression. And I think it's, it's um, important that we acknowledge uh, that. And for me, I think first and foremost is you need to do the things that keep you safe and f- make you feel like you're going to be able to, to do work going forward. What encourages folks, allows them to see hope, is folks who do stand up. You know, it would be easy to let the gears of authoritarianism go forward and just try to lay low and say, you know, I heard even from my, um, from colleagues on both sides of the aisle, I had a Republican say, I hate this legislation, but don't worry, that's what the courts are for. And then I had another person say, well, listen, don't stand up on these bills. Like, yeah, your community is impacted, but if you lay low, maybe they won't get worse. And that notion that maybe if we lay low or you know, the courts will cover us or the policy won't be as bad as it could be, that is in doing so you clear the path for authoritarianism. And I think f- we need people who are willing to stand up in the places where they're able to, in the rooms that they're in and in the places they can. And I think when you stand up uh, and say, no, I'm not going to let this fly, you will find that there are more people than you realize willing to stand up alongside you. And you have to figure out where your space is, how you can resist the gears of authoritarianism. Zephyr, you gave such a, a, a beautiful articulation, I think, of what we all can do and how we can all stand up and how, in a lot of ways, we can follow the, the examples that the both of you have set. Representative Turner, does this resonate with you? 
um, what advice would you give to to folks who are who are stuck in this similar culture of of censorship? Yeah, I think um, it just it makes me think of my time at university. Uh, I went to Oklahoma State University to become a veterinarian, and I like to think I still work with animals today. Um, uh, but I think the the thing about it that I realized in college was at my time at a predominantly white institution as even just like as a black Muslim student, right? For me and so many of the students around me, it made us activists, right? It made us solidify that we were community organizers, that we had to be because our, it, we couldn't just exist as the one thing we wanted to be there, right? Which was students getting degrees in order to be there and be comfortable. We had to organize. We had to advocate for the rights that we needed um, to be able to access the campus in the same way everyone else did. And it is uncomfortable when you realize that, when you come to that realization. And I hate that we are at that time in the nation where so many of us will not be able to just do our jobs, right? We have to be so much more. So I think ultimately what I say is like, make sure you're taking care of yourself where you can and when it is feasible. And also understand that self-care is not just about how you take care of yourself, but it's also about how you allow, allow your community to take care of you too. If I can just be honest, right, we're at a time where we are some of the first and it is deeply uncomfortable, right? Like we sit in this group message and we talk all the time, right? Um, uh, but if you aren't willing to take a step out and be one of the first, right? And to be that line of defense for yourself and your students, it is going to make it a world harder on your students to be able to see themselves and to understand that they can show up and that they can be their own advocate, right? Because nobody is going to be able to tell our stories and to fight for us like us, which is why we're here. I am blessed and highly favored to be able to sit in this office, in this body as a Black Muslim, gender diverse person, right? Socialized as a female to be able to even have voting rights, right? Like, and so every day I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to fight hard as hell because somebody made sure that I existed today. For me, it, it might be scary for a lot of other people to kind of think about it like that. And I understand that it could be, but I think for me, that is what keeps me showing up. Uh well, Representative Turner, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I think um, I know there's a lot of emotion behind this time, and I know that it has taken um, so much resilience to keep showing up yourself. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge that, um, that this doesn't come with no cost to ourselves. Um, and I also appreciate that you also note that it's it's still a worthy endeavor even though it's hard and even though it is calling on us in so many ways, it's still a worthy endeavor to show up for our communities. This is really hard stuff. And I'm so appreciative of your vulnerability and your honesty. Thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, really appreciate you giving us some of your time. I'm sorry for what you both have been through. And we are alongside you fighting the good fight to make sure that your voices are represented in democracy and that that your fights are met with support. So thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.